Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes the bottom 100 as well. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. And for you, Andrew, I just have one question. Are you lost, baby girl? <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know if if you can play that role, Darren. <laughs> I, I think it was me who made you... Um, you, you, you've been continuing to lie for several lie, weeks. Is that, is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, yes. well, well, I'm gaslighting you. I'm telling you that all the things you're saying are crazy. And, and, Very and much in keeping with the theme of the movie. Of course I didn't make you see this movie. You made you see this movie. And what's um, more, you like the movie. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're going to have some very uh, strong conversations about consent on this particular podcast, I suspect. I um, think so. I mean, those conversations are probably being had by better people than us. Um, uh, and they, yeah, I, w- I would say like for anybody It's important to for podcast, everyone to discuss consent. It is. Bring it is. consent into your homes and your hearts and your minds. Yeah, it's it. The this the, perhaps through this, spyware, Andrew. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The the ironic. Um, <laughs> the this movie um, that we're so yes, that we will be talking about what won't, which won't we haven't be, named yet. Which we haven't <laughs> yet named. No, because um, we just jumped right on in there. So it is 365 Danae, or 365 Days, which is the Polish film available on Netflix, released, I believe, in June last year, directed by Barbara Bieloasas and Tomasz Mendes, adapted uh, from the novel by uh, Blanka Lipinski. Um, and joining us oh for God, this God, discussion... it's a book! <laughs> it is know? three books. <laughs> it is, yeah. it is, there, this is just the first one. It's like Polish Fifty Shades, but like somehow even. Are you lost, baby girl? <laughs> even more popular. Grim. Uh, it's number one on Netflix, kind of and back in July, wasn't it? Yes. So, so listeners uh, may have noted that we somehow managed to talk, uh, and we are very thankful and also very sorry. But we did somehow manage to talk the wonderful Grace Duffy into joining us for this discussion. How are you, Grace? I'm well. Ironically enough, I'm on I'm on some sick leave from work right now, so I feel like the atmosphere befits this film. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, we're glad that we hopefully managed to make your day not that much more terrible. But yes, actually, you mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey, and we should probably just talk about this very quickly in terms of giving background to the movie. Um, it was apparently inspired directly by Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, Lipinski read the book Fifty Shades of Grey on a plane flight. Uh, described it as not a terrible way to pass the time, although she did later find out that it was one of the worst books in the genre, but allowed her to survive the flight and get into reading. That's an actual quote. I imagine that's translating. This is Uh, the snake sucking its own dick again. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those moments when, like, you you never want to judge people for whatever books they like and be like, you know, whatever, like, floats your boat and whatever gets you into reading and and works for you. That's awesome. You know, no snobbery here. But sometimes you really just have to be like, really? (laughs) Like, could there not have been, like, anything else that might have done it for you? Well, wasn't wasn't uh, Fifty Shades of Grey like based on, on Twilight, um, fan, Twilight, fiction. Twilight yeah. fan fiction? And now, it, like, it's getting it's this recursive nightmare that you can't wake <laughs> up from, where where you think you've woken up, but now you're actually in Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, <laughs> And yeah. then you wake up and you're in this. And you know what's quite alarming is that Twilight inspired quite a bit of, uh, I don't know if moral panic is the right term, but but there was a lot of backlash against it for a whole bunch of reasons. And it's funny how vanilla and tame it seems compared to all of these things that have sort of mushroomed out of it. 
Yes, because actually the reason why we invited Grace on was Grace uh, was one of the guests who joined us for our discussion of Fifty Shades of Grey back when it was on the bottom 100. And again, I accept all responsibility for this. I thought it would be interesting to kind of reunite the brain trust on that because I think to a certain extent you can see 365 days as an extension of Fifty Shades of Grey. And I think it's interesting to talk about it in the context. it like that, Darren. Uh-huh. What? Sorry, no. Actually, it 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 it's the way it's the way you say lots of things. Ted, actually, no, no, never mind. Be- because you're fond of making puns, and because when you make puns, you often slow down, <laughs> like what you're saying, so that people can get it. I don't know when you're not making a pun. Um, okay, it's perhaps a furtherance of the ideas behind Fifty Shades of Grey. Or a more European spin on that particular concept, perhaps. Um, but yes, the interesting thing about again, Andrew kind of alluded to this. It, th- sorry, sorry it, was, it 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 is definitely more European. When you were talking about the movie, it was as if you were talking about a good movie, because <laughs> you know? it's it's it, it you know it almost adds prestige to it when when you name like the these. Uh, kind of uh, European directors and um, <laughs> writers. And yeah, yeah, exactly. From... It just makes it just classes it up. Um, <laughs> you could you, I, I, maybe that's the trick that this movie has played. It's, they've made it okay to like it um, for people. Grace made the the observation um, that it's based on a book. When I watched this on Netflix, and thank you, Andrew, for meaning that my Netflix recommendations are now completely borked for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's when like that I time watched... I, I watched a train. <laughs> yeah. And all of your recommendations were train related for the. No, I watched it on your Netflix. <laughs> so you, Thanks, Andrew. You got like, would you like to see the journey from Bergen to Malmo? <laughs> or are you more of a Paris to Amsterdam person? Um, but yes, no. So when I watch 365 Days, obviously Netflix has a very fixed idea of who I am. The categories under which it were listed was Polish cinema and based on a book. That was <laughs> wow. kind of how... Well, how that this... doesn't just sum you up in a nutshell, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. World cinema and literacy is apparently what we're going for here. Um, but yes, so I think now because... Whether or not Andrew is responsible for us discussing this episode this week to mark the second half of our Valentine's Day I discussion. asked a question. <laughs> <laughs> I asked you. But like, there is no point in us doing it after Valentine's Day. And I, I, I totally did, did kind of push it in that direction. <laughs> but the, the, the um, yeah, the, the, this, is, this is going to cause people to unsubscribe. To, yes. to, to, to this podcast. This, Although, this is like the anti-Valentine's movie, like toxic Valentine's movie. Exactly. But last week we watched In the Mood for Love, which is a very restrained, very beautiful movie. very high culture, beautiful movie about longing, desire, restraint, introspection. And this week we watched a movie that includes a five minute sex scene on a yacht without getting spoiler specific about it. Um, and yes, <laughs> Andrew... I believe, and I may be wrong here, but I don't mean to speak for Grace, but I certainly am speaking for myself. Andrew, I believe you were the only one of the three of us who had watched this before we decided we were covering this for the podcast. Would that be fair? So he didn't even have an excuse. No, no, I... I, I was uh, watching um, it for the plot. Yeah, I... I did, like... <laughs> okay, how am I going to explain this? Um, let's see. Um, hmm... <laughs> I don't. I. I, I, suppose I think I'll leave I in all these awkward pauses. Um, now, yeah. Now, 
Netflix suggested that I watch it. I was like, I've heard about this before. Darren mentioned this. Um, I looked at it. It's like, oh, yeah, is that a, a, um erotic one? And I'm like, does, da- does Netflix know? I think it was because it was very popular on Netflix. Then I watched yeah. the entire thing. Um, and honestly, I, 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 it is a terrible movie. Um, I mean, that it almost goes without saying, but we shouldn't lose sight of it. It's really, really, really bad. Um, but the, the, I don't think anyone's I, going to lose sight of that. No, no. But I, I, I think the 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 film the film probably does try to be good. I don't think it's I don't think it's like doesn't care about whether it's good or not. I think it that like some some movies they feel kind of lazy. It feels like there was a lot of kind of effort went into this, in some respects. Um, well, I mean, the production is quite impressive. There are a lot of really nice drone shots. Um, it's clearly edited. There is a cinematographer working on it. In fact, actually, the only member of the production team I could find who gave interviews in English um, to Brit- American press was the cinematographer talking about the work that he did on the film. What kind of English uh, was it, by the way? Um, was variety. it like the English from the movie? Or um, <laughs> was it the English that we're, that we're like familiar with? Anyway, I, yeah. sorry. Speaking of how like, it's a very European film, it's like well there are multiple languages and then everyone speaks really like halted like flat english that just makes everything sound even more ridiculous than it already is it would have been better if like it was entirely in subtitles almost because then you could sort of like you have a layer between you and them it's probably not it's probably not like a a fun thing to make fun of them for 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 their english it would it would it would stop to be not being funny um if uh, if 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 I were to do that, um, or w- what was it again? Um, this this will stop to be not being <laughs> some. So it's some. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they 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 didn't just kind of um, create create a. Uh, I guess this is very popular on Netflix. Yes, I was actually going to talk about this. This is a bonus yeah. fee days under the radar hit. It arrived on June 7th with next to no publicity. Netflix didn't send out any announcement that they had it. I didn't get a screener of this in advance. I didn't get any email from the Netflix PR telling me that it had arrived. You'd almost think the streaming service was ashamed to have released it. It had previously been screened. Did you in- check your junk folder? Down? <laughs> 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 like where it's like do you, um, those those emails for like boner pills, but also this movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that my spam um, filter would be smart enough to filter out that Netflix movie. But no, it, like, I think it, it would. It, it is worth pointing out. It, it uh, the film opened in Poland. Um, it did reasonable business in Poland. It generated some controversy there, and we'll come back to that maybe in the spoiler zone. But it's when it arrived on Netflix and became a bona fides international success story. It quickly shot up. Not the, in Ireland, mind. No, this is interesting. So it shot up the top ten chart, reached the number one spot in America by the end of the week. It was briefly unseated by like Spike Lee's The Five Bloods over the weekend, but managed to retake the top spot afterwards, just so we know what real art looks like, apparently. Um, it's reached Netflix's top three in countries as diverse as Germany, Lithuania, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Belgium, Turkey, Sweden, Austria, the Czech Republic, Greece, Romania, South Africa, Portugal, India, the United Arab Emirates, Great Britain, Muratus, uh, Canada and Israel. Um, so it is a massive... Did you mention Slovakia? Um, I, I did not. Was it in those that did top in Slovakia as well? I think it was. <laughs> I think it was. And, and I, 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 would, I would try to think kind of like... Because there were some that surprised me. 
Maybe like the UK shouldn't have surprised me. I don't know. But I do feel very small. <laughs> that Ireland was somehow better than that. that yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the United um, Arab Emirates as well is quite quite interesting as well, actually. You, know, you would assume. About... Somebody should draw a Venn diagram of like these countries and, you know, places where Pornhub is not easily accessible and see, see what the results are. Yes. Well, that, that's it exactly, because this is the interesting thing about 365 Days. It broke all sorts of Netflix viewing records. Um, it is the only movie, I think, that has had two separate extended stretches at the number one spot on the top ten. Um, it is only the second film um, to have made ten total days in there, the other one being Mark Wahlberg's Spencer Confidential. Um, and it is remarkable in terms of its staying power in the top 10. It's come out and gone out, but it's it's been hovering there as well. It's also had something of kind of a bonus effect in booming up the, uh, what Netflix calls its steamy movie category, um, because that's apparently the euphemism that Netflix uses. But apparently- Is there a steamy movie category on Netflix? There is indeed. There is indeed. Um, I'll show you- Which, where... under normal circumstances, I would imagine, is actually quite chaste. <laughs> yeah. Well- I'm just noting that. Um <laughs> No, yeah, it's a weird kind of a thing. Is there something more exciting for people about seeing kind of um, uh, uh, naked people um, have sex or presumably simulate sex? Um, is that is is there something interesting for them about kind of seeing that on Netflix? Where As opposed I guess to there's on... some sort of it feels incongruous. Are more bold because it's not a place where you will generally find it. As opposed to as Grace pointed out going on Pornhub or whatever. Well, I mean, it, again, like it's it's been noted that 365 Days had a, like a bouncing effect for other European art house films, including, say, Gaspar Noé's Love, which surged, oh, into, <laughs> yes, which surged into the top. <laughs> um, but actually, I kind of like this is maybe something interesting to discuss because I think there is something in that, in that what Andrew said there, in that I. I wonder if the target audience for 365 days is the kind of people who would not watch this stuff if they found it in its natural environment online. It's people who can say, well, it's on Netflix. It's a movie so I can go and see it rather than Googling it or going to a website that specifically deals with this. So it's high culture. And the fact that I think both... you can watch it with other people, whereas they, 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 they're, they're, I mean, I don't recommend anyone does. But there's there's maybe a taboo in saying, hey, I'm going I'm going to watch some porn. You want to want to watch this with me? It's like it, it's going to be like that scene in what was it, The Graduate, or no, um, Taxi Driver. Taxi in driver. fact, it might just be a '70s movie trope <laughs> yeah. where somebody takes uh, uh, another person to a to a porn theater. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been pointed out that like 365 Days might be the most seen Polish movie ever. And I think like Stuart Heritage in The Guardian joked that he felt sorry for Bong Joon-ho because Bong Joon-ho had talked about how hard it was to get audiences to see international films and foreign films with Parasite and how hard it was for Parasite to break through the glass. He's not trying hard enough. Uh, yeah, apparently not. Uh, Did he think of this? Yeah, would this have been the approach? But no, I think actually to bring it back to, I think both Andrew and Grace talked about a moment earlier, the idea of like the, the use of English in this movie in particular because again we're not in the spoiler zone yet but it's a movie that involves a polish woman and an italian man and the lingua franca that they speak is not you know italian or polish or french or german it is english and i wonder if the fact that english was chosen specifically was a marketing decision and the fact that there is just enough like polish and italian in there to give it subtitles makes it seem artsy or prestige and gives the illusion of kind of class where you know it's the 
it's a foreign film. I think we, we, we talked about it when we talked about like Times of the Gypsies with Jay uh, and Ronan. This idea that, you know, in European cinema, there's this expectation of it being a more, more risque or more out there or more artsy. Like, does that work both ways? So does like 365 Days have a veneer of class as a result of being like a European film that is accessible to English speaking audiences? I mean, I, I'm not sure that's necessarily the case. I think the problem there is not like, like the reason that a lot of, say, continental European films have this sort of veneer of prestige or whatever you want to say associated with them is just because there's only traditionally anyway, only very specific types of films from Europe will kind of break through into the mainstream. And for years, like those countries, cinemas have been making loads of like, you know, run of the mill rom-coms and action films and so on and so forth. It's just that you don't really hear about them. So I think, um, or not as much as you would some of the, the you know, the ones about pain and suffering and all that jazz, <laughs> like the sort of the cliched, um, art house movie where it's just like really deep poetic cinema and so on so yeah like I, I think adding English to this um like could be a marketing decision but also from a pure purely practical level I mean there are two people from two different countries whose first language is not English they're probably going to use yeah. the lingua franca as it was to uh to communicate um but it does help I suppose that they could probably sell it a bit more easily internationally if they could throw some random English into the trailer um and, you know, all 15 seconds of it that I'm sure most people watched on, on Netflix before they watch the rest of the film. Uh, all right, then. So I think before we jump to the spoiler zone, then three questions to get us started. Um, and Grace, I'm going to ask you to go first here. Do you think 365 Days belongs on a list of the 100 worst movies ever made? I mean, I, I, I actually think I could say yes in this case, because, I mean, you know, it's... It's hard to know. I'm sure there are worse films out there, but I think this film is just particularly bad in subtext terms um, and kind of sums up a lot of problems that exist in a lot of other films, but this is just very overt about them. So in that sense, I'd say, yeah, it's probably a good representative of what constitutes a terrible film. Yeah. And actually, in terms of, because we kind of wanted to talk about in terms of kind of Fifty Shades, and we'll probably do more of that in the spoiler zone. But when we talked about Fifty Shades, we were kind of, I think we were almost hesitant to say that it was one of the 100 worst films ever. And there was a sense of, ooh. No, I don't think that. I don't think so. Yeah. So, I mean, 365 Days is definitely a stronger contender, in your opinion, for like the bottom 100. Yeah, I would say so. Cool. Um, And Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that uh, 365 Days is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? Absolutely, and and kind of on 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 both accounts. Um, I know it's not it, it's not good value if I'm just repeating what Grace is saying, <laughs> but it, but I but I do agree with her. And the the I think Fifty Shades of Grey is kind of like gets a lot of the same stuff wrong, but this gets uh, more wrong. You yeah. know, in terms of like when it goes further um, with its wrongness, perhaps is uh... yeah yeah exactly like 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 the the, the um, something that they have in common is the idea that um, there is something um, kind of t- there's something I guess to be worked out in um, in Bondage the or... practice of BDSM, and that it's it's um, a sign that a person is broken and needs to be fixed. Perhaps. Yeah, and and that it's a, sort of like an arc for that character um, where they're um, taught how to be gentle. Yeah. Um, and um but but it goes it goes it into very um i guess dark and upsetting um avenues with 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 no 
um, genuine attempt to. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, like it's not, it's, it's not that it's a bad movie, just that it's a bad movie, and I mean, like we kind of made some mention of the, the kind of bits of it, it, like this, it doesn't look like Birdemic or The Room or anything yeah. like that. There is some competence mm. kind of in it. It's very so polished. It, it does, it's, it's very polished, yeah, but it, 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 which makes it worse, I think. Uh, yeah, it kind of perpetuates a lot of uh, uh, stuff that's, that's, that's already kind of um, probably doesn't need any help <laughs> to be perpetuated. Yeah, permeating pop culture. Uh, yeah, like like it's a kind of a retelling of 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 stories that have been told before, I guess, but but more explicit about why how wrong they are, but but not in a way that's self aware. Yes, I mean, like the the default point of comparison that I think both of the primary actors here. Using the Beast. Exactly. Yes, that is it. It's yeah. that both uh, Michelle Moroni, who plays Massimo, and I think Anna Maria uh, Sekluka, and apologies for that, who plays Lara, have both made the observation that yes, this is a modern day retelling of Beauty and the Beast. The only problem is that, like the. That is really tragic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like there are obviously like, and we talked about, we talked about with Andy, we talked about with the Beauty and the Beast, we talked about the subtext of it and some of the um, awkwardness of it. I mean, we but had problems all... with it, with that. Yeah. And, and, that, <laughs> and that was, and the beast. And that was subtext. And that had like a, a cartoon uh, teapot and stuff. There were less kind of, um, uh, um, you know, it was, it was, <laughs> it was less salacious, I guess. Than, than, than this. Anyway, sorry. No, I mean, I'm trying to think of one of the really great um, quotes here. It's the Guardian uh, review that remarks that, yes, it is kind of like Beauty and the Beast. And again, apologies for a very mild out-of-context spoiler here. But it's like Beauty and the Beast if the Beast decided to romance Belle by tying Belle to a bed and forcing her to watch a teapot suck him off. Um, like, it's very... It's like the worst possible subtext of Beauty and the Beast, but rendered as text... And without any, as Andrew pointed out, self-awareness whatsoever. Um, and yeah, <laughs> for myself, yes, um, definitely. Um, and I think I think it's interesting because I think there is some stuff to talk about there in terms of like better or worse than Fifty Shades of Grey, where like we talked about like the weird thing about Fifty Shades of Grey was how completely unsexual it was, despite being a naughty movie made for Americans. Yeah. But I feel like, um, to, and we probably talked about this, now it's been a while since I watched Fifty Shades, and but we may have discussed this in the podcast we did on it, but I feel like in some ways that might have been an actual directorial choice to, like, negate the the sexuality in it, as it were, and kind of make it seem a little bit more like a weird fever dream, because that's essentially what it is. Like, it's not intended... I know, like, the book obviously was intended to be some form of erotica, but I think the way it's put on screen kind of removes a lot of that, and I think that's actually a good decision, and it was an active decision. Like, there was some some thought went into the Fifty Shades movie, I think, that did not go into this one. Well, our, I, 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 would, I would like to kind of... I, I I don't know why I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, but I am. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a case for this movie that it wasn't that they um, forgot to decide to um, leave that stuff out. Um, it was it was that they left that stuff in, and that it was it was a great idea um, because <laughs> no, like they they, they 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 let's not kind of 
disguise why people watch this movie. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it is worth like, pointing out that, like, for Netflix viewing purposes, watching this movie means you watched more than two minutes of it, and the film has a centerpiece that is a five-minute sex scene that was incredibly mimetic and, and spread incredibly online, and everyone's like, oh, you have to see this. So, yes, I, I imagine it's it's very easy to, to suggest why or what people might have been watching when they were watching it. Yeah, like, that, that, that that's kind of... Um... It does make you wonder what the second and third movies are going to kind of have to do in order to, because to that, I guess yeah. for... Sorry, apologies for the unintended innuendo there when I said to top that, sorry. No, that's that's, that's absolutely fine. There, there will be a lot of that. I, 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 think, I think because this movie is so, for want of a better word, problematic... Um, they're, they're like we'll probably be avoiding making hilarious puns but um accidentally making them anyway and then apologizing so that's that's perfectly fine darren you have blanket uh, forgiveness but uh, yeah no I, I actually do think that there is something interesting there in the difference between that like 365 days and um and sorry the 50 shades where like 50 shades weirdly again i think we've talked about it we said that it kind of sublimated its sexuality into like this weird capitalist structure the sexiest scene in 50 shades is the contract negotiation scene in a boardroom that's the one where it's like oh yeah baby negotiate that contract um and i think that there's something interesting in 365 days being a european spin on that where it takes all of that subtext and kind of brings it to the fore i think it doesn't give any thought to what doing that does to what the implications of that decision are and to like the things that it needs to do was very stupid but like stupid like a fox i guess <laughs> was my point yes well, well, that's, <laughs> that, in that, that, it got it did it, get to it's number very one astute. yes it did get to yeah, number one. yeah and i mean it should be pointed out in terms of the movie doing very well on netflix a it was the second netflix original film within a month to get zero percent of rotten tomatoes the other one being the last days of american crime it was also arguably part of a larger trend in pop culture in the pandemic because this was released in june 2020 where people started pushing towards escapist entertainment so like netflix dominated 2020 with shows like say tiger king and reality dating shows like love is blind which are very much along the lines of as andrew pointed out stupid like a fox turn off your brain and just let yourself be absorbed by this without thinking about it without questioning it just kind of like let yourself soak in it basically don't think of how stupid this movie will make you. Yeah. Like, and it feels <laughs> like that kind of movie. Yeah. That where, where, where not, not, not only is it stupid and won't tax your mind, but it will hurt your mind. <laughs> yes, it will. And, and if you absorb it, it, like, it'll make you a worse person. And like the fact that um, you may not even know that you're absorbing it as well, which is kind of uh, ominous and kind of worrying about it. Because again, as, as Grace pointed out, it's, like, the things in this movie are not unique to this movie. They're arguably just out in broader culture anyways. We point out, like Beauty and the Beast, to pick a very a seemingly innocent example. It's just, here they're turned up to the max. But yes, so second question, Grace. Would this be on your own bottom 100? So the worst 100 movies that you have ever seen? Probably. Being with a decent shout. I mean, I'd, I'm trying to think of, like, other films that I have seen that are so bad, they're, like, offensively bad. <laughs> um, and they, they pale in comparison to this one. But, yeah, no, that this is just fairly shocking. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And Andrew? I forget. How, how have we tried to formulate this question previously? <laughs> As in, like, is this a list of movies that I take with me to, to your the desert, desert island? This is, you've tried to game the system. Andrew's worst 100 movies are movies he secretly enjoys, but people would say, yeah, he doesn't want to watch that out of pleasure. 
I think like maybe if you can decontextualize the the, the sex scenes, like the the there there will be kind of <laughs> sorry, Darren. I do apologize. No, um, not at all. <laughs> um, it's like there are certain things that you can hate watch or like hate read as well. I don't know if I'll if if I mean I've I've now watched this twice. Yeah, what if the um, island has Pornhub, Andrew? Um, prob- probably. What kind of island is this? <laughs> it's an island where you apparently have like three hundred and fifty movies. Um, I have the yeah yeah right. Um, <laughs> and a functioning yeah, DVD I'm, player and a I'm, television. Sorry. It's your it's island. Got Netflix. Yeah, your but everything else is firewall. Yeah. Well, um on other streaming services. Yeah. You you came up with this island. The island was your analogy. I I'm just making it work. The, yeah, this is an analogy of something anyway. Um Yeah, the, the, yeah, I, I I guess I I I don't know. I don't I, I don't think I want it on the island. I think I, I, in fact I might end up just throwing all of the movies in the sea um, <laughs> um, <laughs> living that island life yeah and no that it, it, it it's it's very bad i thought it was very bad yes no i don't know <laughs> i've confused myself um and for myself probably not but it has a very good shout in that again the, the bad movies when i think of like personal terrible movies they're movies that like sitting through i wanted to drive a stake into my eye and 365 days is bad it is very bad it is not a movie i would recommend in any way shape or form but it is at least well produced and while it has lots of story elements that do not go anywhere or contribute anything of merit to what's happening within the framework of the movie it still as andrew pointed out seems like a movie that people put a great deal of care into making now it is also highly toxic and bad for lots of other reasons but yeah i'm not entirely sure it would make my own personal bottom 100 um, that said, there are a lot of bad movies, so don't take that as a seal of approval or endorsement of but, the film. But isn't that an issue, really, that, like, you know, the toxicity of this movie should negate everything else by definition. It doesn't matter how high class and, and, and brilliant your production values are. If you make something that is wrong and presenting something that is morally wrong and toxic and disgusting, then there shouldn't be any negating factors. It's a piece of... Are you lost, baby girl? No matter how glossy a piece are you lost, baby girl? it is. Oh, absolutely. But the question is, though, like, are there 100? Are there 100 more? So, like, I mean, you know, movies where people have died. Like, in a way, or, it or... makes it worse, I guess. Okay. Is, is, like, I, 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 sorry, sorry, I interrupted you there. Well, no, but no, I, I, I kind of, I guess to, 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 I kind of, I, 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 I can, I can see. I can see both, both both points of view, and I kind of, in a weird way, I kind of agree with both of you, um, um, which which sounds like a bit of a cop out. Well, I'm, I'm not but, pushing. Yeah, I'm not I, pushing I, too strongly. Like I'm not. I'm not making too strong a point. I'm just kind of like my. my... No. <laughs> yes. Headline. <laughs> Darren. Darren defends three six five. No. 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 My 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 argument is is more, and it's not really an argument. It's just a kind of a, a qualification there in terms of like just picking. The 100 worst it's like uh, that that grace's point is entirely correct it is toxic it is terrible and that doesn't you know the fact it looks good doesn't get it off the hook the question is though like how do you rank that with everything else so like every movie where abuse has taken place on set for example or where an actor's died or where an animal's died and all those sort of other factors like the, the math i don't know how to quantify that math for myself that's the thing 
So I don't know if this would make the 100 by my own internal arbitrary math on that metric. I do think it's terrible. I absolutely do think it's terrible. I'm just not sure personally. It's it's not like you're a robot that's, <laughs> that's, that, that generates movie opinions. That processes movies and creates spreadsheets. Uh, movie opinions. No, yeah. I, no, I, no, like I, I You don't have a spreadsheet about this podcast, do you? Thank thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I do like it. But no, no, I, like, <laughs> I I no, I just I, I do. I, I think Grace is entirely right, but I also again, yeah. I'm not entirely sure how personally I I kind of quantify that. Because yes, it is. It's absolutely toxic. Um, absolutely toxic. Um, and then, yeah. So with that in mind, then one more question before we jump in. Final question. So Grace, would you recommend listeners watch three hundred and sixty-five? Shockingly <laughs> enough, no, I would not. <laughs> um, and Andrew, would would I recommend it? So I listened to some people talk about this movie, and I kind of agreed with it. Uh, everything um, they were saying, or almost everything, there, there, there was a point made that while I, while I agree with them, it seems to be careful about how I say this <laughs> because the, 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 the point they made was that the movie wasn't sexy, and it, I think the point might be that the movie wasn't sexy for them. Um, I don't think that makes it a movie that I'd recommend. And I'm not going to recommend it, but but the the it, it, people people have enjoyed this for for I guess like uh, uh, prurient reasons, and the, the, there's a kind of a uh, <laughs> I guess no is, 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 is if, if 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 you if if you want this, there, there's isn't Bridgerton really horny? Yes, Bridgerton is really horny. And presumably, Bridgerton is like not. It doesn't have it doesn't any have of the problems that Doesn't have the same issues has. that define this. No, it right. does not. Right. No, definitely don't watch this. Watch Bridgerton. In fact, I, 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 I think I think I'll watch Bridgerton. Um, sorry, Grace. Or or Outlander. Or Outlander. Yeah. Outlander. Yeah. I'll check that one out too. Um, from me, Ronald D. Moore, the Star Trek: The Next Generation showrunner, um, was on there as well. So he's and Battlestar oh. Galactica showrunner. Galactica. More importantly, <laughs> yes. is it is it is it set on Riza? Um. <laughs> it's set in Scotland in a century I can't remember, but um, yes, partially in like the 1940s and partially back in possibly the 1700s. Don't quote me on that. Is this a Highlander ripoff? <laughs> Because no. <laughs> there well, needs to be a Highlander bodice ripper. The author ripper. may have watched certain source material and drawn certain things from it, but, but it's very enjoyable. Okay. All right. I'll check that out. Yeah. No, I definitely not recommend people. Like, do, do listen to it. Are you lost, baby girl? <laughs> or don't. I don't know. Um, no, do, do. Um, but, uh, but then don't. Don't stop the podcast now and watch the movie. Yeah, well, whatever we've done, do that. we're like Netflix. We now have their listen. It's fine, Andrew. Um, Don't watch they... this movie. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm sorry, Darren. Um, no worries. Um, okay. So yeah, I. Would... That's what I meant earlier when I said like um, you could you did I I I I I'm 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 sure I'm sure there will be some some good discussion, but. As you can already tell, I'm, I'm not very good at talking about this sort of thing um, <laughs> without embarrassing myself. No, no, um, no, no. Um, but no, yes. Yeah, so I would also not recommend it. I do think that, yes. No, and again, want to be very careful here. Not, don't want to seem very uh, puritanical or whatever. But there, if you're looking for this sort of thing, 
there are lots of other TV shows and films and other resources that provide the relief that this does. And I, you know, again, I get this being massively popular in the middle of, you know, an unprecedented pandemic where everybody is locked at home. And for most of the world, that means being locked in places with heavy cloud cover, um, you know, sort of cold winters, uh, you know, isolated from your friends and family. And I understand the theoretical appeal of wanting something that is nominally populated by beautiful people, um, is set in beautiful tropical locations that has lots of wonderful uh, drone and sky shots as well, and has, you know, obviously all the sex stuff in there as well, but you can find stuff that does that separately and does it better without any of the underlying problems of it. That said, I mean, you know, if you are curious about it, if you want to understand why it's so bad, and I suspect being honest, if we're going to talk about it, if you want to know that we are talking about things that are actually in the movie and not just stuff that we made up, because I suspect there's going to be a lot of that, um, you might want to watch it for academic reasons for that. But otherwise, just take our word for it, I would say. Um, that would be... Yeah, that thing you mentioned about kind of the, the sunshine um, in it... The, the, that's that's been kind of given as the main reason why <laughs> like like for for journalists who don't want to write about like um uh, men's and ladies boners um they they say like this is this is um like uh, travel porn yes well it is it versus, is like actual porn yes, it is traveling porn um yes yes it is but no so yes so, so that would be kind of what i would put there and it's, I, it's for people who who weren't able to go to shagaloof do, do I want to know what Shagaloof is? Um, this uh, this summer. That's why it was so popular in the UK. You can just watch uh, Mamma Mia for this. Yeah. Or that... Mamma Mia, here we go again. That is yeah. very sunny I... and bright and beautiful and will make you crave a trip to Croatia and Greece. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then intercuss it with, with bits <laughs> of the Outlander. <laughs> and Bridgerton. Like, uh, um... Yeah, and Bridgerton. Yeah, the... Yeah, we we've we've cracked the code. We have indeed. All right, um, with that in mind, then we're... I keep telling you, Darren, we should be making movies and not talking about them. Well, I mean, hey, Netflix will buy anything. Am I right? Am I right? Um, with with that in mind, then I'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. Now, normally, what I do here is I ask the guests what the movie was about for them. But because oh, no, this Darren. entire entire project was Andrew's idea, and no. because Grace is being very generous with her time and her expertise, and I don't want to like point at her. But and the listeners her want to hear what Grace has to say. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, what is three hundred and sixty-five days about for you? Um, it's a Beauty and the Beast uh, <laughs> narrative. It's it's a retelling. It's 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 the Stockholm syndrome. Um, and it's supposed to be kind of a redemption story for um, Massimo. Massimo, but I think that the Massimo, who I think had a lot to do with this movie, including the terrible music. Yes, yes, he did. He's um, the actor there who actually, uh, Michelle Morone, I think is his name, who was working as a gardener when he got hired for 365 days. And I love this quote, by the way, from the New York Times interview with him, where he said that, like, yes, he'd given up on acting because he was too handsome. Um, in Italy, if you're a good looking guy, you're not an actor, he said, matter of factly. You're just someone good looking. Um, so apparently he was too good looking to be an was actor. really... I mean, we we can we can identify with that, right? Yeah, that's the reason why we're not actors. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's why we moved to podcasting. <laughs> People take us more seriously if they can hear us rather than see us. 
Um, but sorry, um, sorry to cut you off there. But yes. Um, so yes, Michelle Moroni did write the music, including the opening theme song, which is hard for me. Um, uh, it was hard for me to listen to it. I, I, I can't imagine that joke is not being made. And I'm sorry for, for, for sounding like a complete hack. Um, um, there, there was some there was some some more like the all the um, a lot of songwriting is just kind of, you know, lines that might sound good one after the other and don't necessarily have to make any sense and that like a lot of good songwriting is that like where you write a song in like two or three five minutes a good, very good pop song yeah um but they, but that's not what these are um you, you've you've got lyrics like save save me from this are you lost baby girl dark room <laughs> 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 with a song titled Dark Room, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was like Dark Room Save Me From This and then it's, it just drops the F on. <laughs> uh it's like there that was a moment of the like there is a there is a certain joy in watching bad movies that you don't get that often watching this, but they kind of laugh out loud bad. Uh, moments that was definitely one of them <laughs> for, for me was listening to that song yeah I think I would the point I was trying to make was I I think like if you had told that story um in a way that made Massimo seem kind of redeemed or ch- changed um then it, it like I've, I've I feel like it, it it wouldn't have been alpha enough for 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 Massimo as a character, as in, like he would have, he he it, he he wouldn't have countenanced, like it, you know, it 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 feels so. It's it's like it's a stupid movie. Yeah. So I guess it 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 couldn't it couldn't do that. It couldn't do what it was trying to do properly, and also because um, the like it's 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 a sort of a um, joke or a lie. Um, to kind of insinuate that the perspective of the movie is is somehow against the person that Massimo is at the beginning, because it's not. It it I think as we've already said, it's 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 only trying to perpetuate that stuff. Yeah. It's not challenging us. Um, there is no like it, if anything, he's he's a worse person kind of as the as, as the movie goes on. And we get to see like the worst parts of him um, through his romance. So yeah. it's not a redeeming um, romance because because the idea of the story, I suppose, is supposed to be that she is changing him and and um, helping him to be a more gentle good person or a, a gentle. Like he says, I'd like you to teach me how to be gentle for you. And there is a sense at the start of the movie that the character is probably a bit kind of of an innocent kind of wet behind the ears sort of um michael corleone um yes let's, let's talk about the godfather-esque aspects of this very quickly yeah. because it's very rare that you get a 50 shades of gray slightly pornographic euro trash movie that tries to be the godfather but we'll do that as well like i mean it literally opens with his father 
who is, you know, Don Massimo, who's running the family business, sitting down with a bunch of outsiders who have come to do business. And in The Godfather, how The Godfather tells you the Corleone families are good people. It's like, okay, well, we don't sell drugs. That's how you know we're the heroes. We, I mean, we murder <laughs> we murder people, we shoot people, we do prostitution, but we don't... We sell olive oil. Yeah, we sell olive oil, but we don't do drugs, and so we're good people. And, like, it's so messed up. But do they not traffic people? <laughs> yeah. That's the question. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think the problem is that the, the, they, were, they were like, no, 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 we draw the, we draw the line at 14. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, 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 um, there, there is... It's it's like and he kind of comes back to his son and says like oh uh, we mightn't like them they might be assholes but we must respect them yeah. <laughs> like these are business people yeah. you know they're they're trafficking children um, refugees yeah. and, like and later on he shoots uh, his associate for trafficking teenage girls as well and it's like I think he trafficked it to a brothel yeah. so like <laughs> like not one of ours um, I don't know. Um, it's sorry, sorry. It's it it's very unclear about kind of like anything to me, uh, anyway. About um, whether whether they're whether how how bad in fact they are, you know. I think I think it it it's maybe a bit ambiguous that lets you think kind of they're just the worst people you've ever met, or 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 either that or they're they're worse than you could even imagine. I my takeaway from it, and again, maybe Grace can correct me if I'm wrong here, but my takeaway from it was the movie wants you to think, not what you actually think, not what I thought, but what the movie wants you to think is that Massimo is not such a bad guy because he's a gangster, but he's a gangster who doesn't traffic children, and because this is a movie about sex, that's supposed to make him a nice guy. It's like the sequence where he tells her, "I won't touch you without your permission," despite continuing to touch her without her permission throughout. But it's meant to be like, "Oh, well, you can kind of he's not such a bad guy." And the movie seems to not register the fact that everything it's showing you is that he's a bad guy, despite that tell. Is No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you'd like to think that, you know, in a smarter universe, this film could have made some kind of meta commentary about people, you know, participating in a culture that enables this kind of thing to be presented on screen, but they put up these like imaginary barriers between them and what happens. So, so he says like, you know, oh, I'm a gangster, but I draw the line at like 14 for human trafficking. Like, you know, this in some way makes him immune to being a bad person. And, you know, in, in a, in a better world, perhaps this movie would be like, Oh, like, I'm sure you think that like rape culture is bad and, and, you know, human trafficking is bad, but you're still trying to claim that this is a completely harmless movie. That's just like a bit of a laugh to watch. And that makes you immune to it, even though you're not, but it is not that deep of a movie. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I feel like they kind of on some level, they wanted to say like, oh, he's a good guy. And then like if they were doing a cut of of it where he's actually a good guy, they're like, oh, it's just not as good. Um this did I kind of want 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 him to kind of, you know, like they might have done a um a take where it's like, okay, how about how about remember when he said he wasn't gonna touch her? We'll do one where he doesn't what if he doesn't touch her? And then they're like, oh, I, do, I just prefer it when he touches her. I'm kind of stupid. <laughs> I know we said all of those things, but I just really want to see 
kind of um it just works better on screen uh you know you don't understand my art yeah or whatever yeah 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 exactly i th- i think they yeah it, it's kind of like their worst instinct and just kind of like let go wild i guess we should actually we should talk very briefly about this about uh, blanca lipensky who wrote the novel um because there's some very interesting uh stuff here presented with um well we'll talk about it afterwards but here is the um so about eight years ago, Lipinski found herself trapped in a relationship much like Laura's in the novel, adding that Laura's boyfriend, Martin, looks exactly the same as her ex. They even have the same clothes, she says. While they were compatible in terms of personality, Lipinski was sexually frustrated. He was perfect for me with everything, but not with the sex. It was a hard situation, especially when you love someone so much. The character of Massimo, all his overpowering energy, spoke to what Lipinski craved at that point in her life. In that moment when I wrote that book, I really needed someone who would take all responsibility from me. I was in a moment in my life where I didn't see a way out, only a big black hole. I'm a tough woman, a businesswoman. I was tired of deciding. All the time I had to decide about something, life, work, money. I thought it'd be so nice to have a strong man to tell me what to do. And Martin is apparently not the only autobiographical element in the novel. Lipinski claims, and this is the part where my eyebrows raise so high that they're at the back of my neck, 85% of the story is real, according to Lipinski, the writer. While Lipinski won't clarify exactly which elements of the story were based on her life, she confirms that she was indeed kidnapped by a lover, but, and I quote here, it was easier than Laura's experience in the book, and another quote here, quite exciting, um, which is a lot, I think, to unpack. (laughs) That is a lot. <laughs> yeah, and of course she feels that way. Like, the, 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 that is Stockholm Syndrome, right? Yes, I mean, like, you don't want to... to I mean, it, it sounds horrific when it's put that way. You don't want to, uh, I don't know, second-guess her version of events because it's possible that in some way that was some sort of, like, consensual arrangement yeah. that she has chosen to describe in a certain way. But it's also possible that that's somebody trying to rationalize something traumatic that happened to them and, and, you know, write about it or present it in a way that gives them a bit of agency over it again. But I mean, it's hard to know if it's a personal experience she's talking about. What, like, you don't want to assume that she's, what you call it, just um, downgrading something terrible that happened to her. But at the same time, assuming automatically that it's terrible if she's not presenting it as terrible seems like it's, also yeah. bad, so it's it's hard to know. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess it's a difficult thing to kind of um, uh, categorize. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 I, 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 I suppose one thing you could say is 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 that if if somebody um, if somebody is going to be abusive in a relationship, they're probably going to look for somebody who is vulnerable to it. You know, and the the, the thing that she's describing about kind of the. the um, you know that um kind of a lot longing for something kind of for to 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 kind of be told um like the, there there is there is a healthy version of that like where 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 you can have like a supportive partner who's 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 kind of you know asking you to do things rather mm-hmm. than kidnapping you and telling you to do things um well i think i think like that's that's the thorny part of like 365 days where like i you know part of me is is cognizant of i don't want to judge like lipinski's 
the Pinska's kind of sexual fantasies and the sexual fantasies right. of, you know, there are women who read this and who connect with this. And I, I don't want to sound judgmental or prudish about it, but I, I think being honest, I think it's an execution issue. It's the fact that like, it would be possible to do this in a way that wasn't as creepy or unpleasant or with all the subtext that this has, as Andrew pointed out, a version of this story that treats bondage as something. And I think we talked about, we talked about 50 shades, a story that doesn't treat an interest in bondage as something to be fixed, but instead an expression of consensual sexual activity between two adults who both understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I think, I do think honestly, it is it is an issue of it with execution and like to give an example of of kind of like the the weirdness around this and again i i worry that i'm i'm picking on lipinski and i don't mean to do that um but like there's a sequence early in the film and i don't know we're assuming people have watched the movie but it like when we'll talk about some of the weird editing choices and stuff like that in, in a moment um but there's a sequence where the one of the first things that Massimo does is like sexually is force himself on a stewardess in the plane in the back of the plane um and that was a scene that was hugely controversial when the book was first published in Poland because again a lot of people were like this is sexual assault and apparently when Lipinska sold the book rights to make the film she wanted to play the stewardess in that scene so that she could illustrate what she'd wanted to convey in prose in the novel, but hadn't been able to, what she felt had been misinterpreted. Uh, and that's an interesting detail that I think perhaps suggests like where the frisson is in this, where like there's a gap between, I think, what Lipinski is trying to say and, and what she's, you know, actually accomplishing saying, or what the film or the novel is actually managing to say. Is that fair, perhaps? I don't know. What it was her point that people didn't get her 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 novel and that and that with a movie like you can you can you can try it until people get us like you can you can you can do a a, a, a different version of it that people will guess because it, it seems like kind of well you wrote the novel you, you could um i don't know like like is it, it i think people have been fairly unequivocal about um uh Probably, probably the filmmakers haven't, mm-hmm. but uh, about about that scene basically, being, right? Basically. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they make a kind of an overture to to have her kind of smile afterwards, which is kind of yeah. you know look in the mirror and smile. And I don't know, kind of. I, I, I mean, I was, yeah. I think the issue is that, like, I mean, you as an author or a filmmaker or, or whatever, you can present something in a certain way but you have no control over how other people interpret it. And you don't really get, honestly, I don't, I'm not really sure that you're able to tell them that they interpreted it wrong. Like everyone is going to pick something up differently, depending on their own particular worldview and experiences and everything else. And, you know, some of the ways that people, like if, if you're, if you've written a book, for example, and people read it a certain way and you think it's wildly outlandish, like, that's obviously a fair perspective for you to have, but, like, it's also fair for other people to say, this is how it came across to me, and here's why I think that's wrong, or why it's not right, or, you know, whatever. Um, so, honestly, like, the author being like, no, 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 I, I think everyone picked this up wrong, and we need to present it differently in the movie just kind of smacks of, like, weird damage limitation. Like, you can understand why somebody would want control over it and be like, well, that's not how I wanted it to come across, but you also can't tell people this is the definitive reading of how this is supposed to be. And unless you read it this way, you're just wrong. Because, if, you know, yeah, that's, if, that's if not if really the perspective how it works. Is, oh, sorry. Anyway, I, 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 I'm, I'm actually reluctant to, to, to talk about kind of 
because I, 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 I think like with filmmakers in general, there, 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 there can be a kind of an unawareness of, of a denial that their kind of movies can represent. Yeah. Like where, where they have themes that they haven't uh, processed uh, or worked through. Process exactly, but they're there. Yeah. Um, um, Spielberg and... having his own movies explained to him by James Limpton is a prime yeah. example of this. Yeah. I mean, like when we discuss this kind of thing, it can sound it can sound really it can sound really malicious. Yeah. I think when when people put it that way, I mean, this is not necessarily always a bad thing. Like you know, one of my favorite things about a lot of movies is that um, like there could be a film that like the one that springs to mind for me because I remember reading about this in an article years ago was the um the live action version of Cinderella that Kenneth Branagh made a few years ago that for most people they're probably just like yeah this is just you know fine standard movie probably won't dwell too long in the memory or whatever but I remember reading in an article that somebody had written saying that like the the way that the lead character's abusive family was portrayed really resonated with her because of experiences that she had had so you know, in that sense, I think there can be ways of reading movies that are that seem like they're just, you know, disposable, for want of a better word, um, that actually make them have a bit more power and resonance. But like, so it, it's not necessarily always a bad thing for something to be read a different way to what was intended. But um, it can like I think of people tell you that especially if you are not like if you're a filmmaker, an author, whatever, and you present things a certain way that maybe you don't have direct experience of, if somebody who has experienced it, um, whatever that may be, tells you that the way you portrayed it is not necessarily the most healthy way of portraying it, I think it's fair to take that on board, even if you don't necessarily agree uh, with them. We should actually acknowledge, uh, before we kind of move on, uh, and I promise that this the podcast won't be quite as heavy or as dark going on, or maybe it will be, but just to get this out of the way, because it is, is something that I think needs to be acknowledged beforehand. The One of the film's legacies um, has been the 365-day challenge on TikTok, where it has demonstrably um, had a an effect that is probably, to be quite frank, negative, questionable at the very, very best. Uh, but issues where people are showing bruises and marks on their skin with the hashtag 365-day challenge, uh, insinuating that they have had rough sex. Um, but again... I feel like I'm 85 years old all of a sudden. I'm like, oh God, these TikTok kids again. I can't keep up. I am so hip and with the kids is what Darren is. They've they've stopped eating washing liquids. <laughs> yeah, um. the, the tab, was it the, the flow tab? Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. It's like part of me is wondering, looking at this, like... The, the part part of my mind and i hate that my mind is like this is like is this like are they having a laugh at the expense of like old moral panic media is it like because uh, some of the yeah, people have said some absolutely. people yeah some people have said that they've done uh like makeup and stuff like that and again part of it's like well okay if they're doing makeup of uh, being abuse victims that's somehow also worse uh but i mean it, there is it's better for them though but because yes, it's like for them, te- that's clear. teenagers uh love getting one up on funny dirty um uh, like out of, something people. out of touch out of touch folk like myself yes we we may only be in our 30s but to a teenager we are ancient and we need to, yeah. to remember that like we, you know when we were 15 somebody who was 34 or yeah. whatever seemed really old <laughs> i remember being in a a the clarence kind of nightclub in sligo and being about like 16 or some, I just, sorry, um, I guess statute of limitations is passed and them losing their liquor license. But, um, 
somebody walked in was probably about my age, maybe even younger, and somebody turned around and was like, who's that? Old <laughs> <laughs> like, what are they doing here? You know? <laughs> Why have they invaded our space? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah and that's so, what it feels like on TikTok. But no, I mean, I mean, I mean you know. But it would be a dream for them, like, to see some, some like, kind of... Uh, the independent uh, pick up and yeah, run articles about, exactly. Like, or how even like horrible this a, is. People on podcast panicking. Yes, that's it. fair. That's fair. And but I mean, there there is, a, and to be fair, there are more specific cases of complaints, like Duffy, um, who asked Rex Hastings to take off um the the movie off Netflix, uh, because she had had an experience that was like worryingly like the basis of this movie, where she was like drugged on her birthday, taken out of the country and kidnapped and assaulted. Um, and for her, again, as as Grace pointed out, somebody who has lived through something like that, it 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 is quite harrowing, and it is worth acknowledging, kind of the the uncomfortableness of of kind of seeing that played as as kind of a sexual fantasy. Mm-hmm. But it, again, it again, all of this stuff is very heavy, and all this stuff has been talked about by people who are far more qualified, I would argue, than myself, anyway, um, to deal with it and talk about. It. But I do think that we kind of needed to to kind of acknowledge that because I do think that it, you know. We're probably going to talk about the absurd geography of the yacht sex scene and the some of the choice lines and some of the weird, fun, crazy stuff that goes on beneath the surface of this movie. But there's a lot of stuff to unpack that I think, you know, is worth acknowledging that it's maybe, you know, not all, you know, just weird, bad. Some of it's bad, bad. It's Yeah. And, and I, mm-hmm. I kind of agree with Grace as well when she says that, like, whether, whether, whether I personally am very good at talking about these issues, they still um, ought to be talked about. Yeah. And to, 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 to kind of, um, to kind of avoid talking about them would be wrong as well. Yeah. More to gloss over them or to ignore them or to pretend that they yeah. don't matter. Um, which it... Well, I know it, like, it sounds like this very big kind of moral weighty thing, but I do actually think it's important. And I mean, I'm not saying it's exclusive to the film industry, but given that is what we are talking about at the moment, I just think like we have to be very conscious in this day and age more so than ever that our choices and our viewing choices are complicit in, in wider things like i mean you know just today you have something like um charisma carpenter releasing a long statement about the abusive behavior she endured from joss whedon who has you know been an icon and in in the industry and one of the things she says in her statement is that this industry like vilifies survivors and, and glorifies the achievements of the abusers which is something that happens everywhere whenever you hear about somebody who's you know, committed some kind of assault or, or sexual violence that, oh, but, you know, they they made some great movies. And, you know, the classic example here being Roman Polanski, who is actually a convicted pedophile <laughs> that, you know, well-known and well-regarded film stars signed letters in support of him because, you know, he's a great artist. So that just negates all of the terrible things that he's done. And it's like, well, that's not really good enough. It was never good enough, but there were times when people were able to gloss over and and ignore that. And I think these days when you when survivors have much more of a voice and rightfully so, then it behoves all of us to listen to them and and say, well, no, I can choose not to partake in this thing, which is very clearly damaging. Um, or if I do, to talk about why it's damaging and and not endorse it. I actually think that's really important. And I know like you don't want to make like the act of, of watching a film become some huge like moral stance, but I just think we need to be aware of what we're supporting when we buy into it in the same way that you know throughout all of life there are things people do that that are like the world we live in it's not possible to live an entirely 
how would you put it, like moral harm-free life, I think, just because the way the system is set up doesn't really allow for that. But when we are in a position to make choices, I think we should try and, and bear these factors in mind. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the kind of um, the re- religious um, uh, sect in India who who who, who walk um, barefoot and with a, with a face mask, because first of all, not to walk on anything that you could kill. And secondly, not to not to swallow a bug that you would also kill. Um, trying to live um, a, 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 a kind of and consume, I guess, um, is very difficult without without just in, indirectly kind of as, as you say, sort of being complicit in mm-hmm. in some of their harmful um, structures. And in 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 as we often like to say on this podcast. Um, to live is to cause pain. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, but normally, like I, and when we're talking about European films as well, so thank you for that, Andrew. Sorry. Yes, yeah. but no, like, I think you know, like you say, it's it's the way the world is set up, and and you know the the you know the the power of an individual is not the same as the power of an entrenched like right capitalist force shall we say? They so green light these things. You know, it's it's not like you're a bad person for you know, I don't know, eat, eating meat or like driving a car or whatever you want to say. But um, I just think that when it comes to things like this, um, where we have a choice to, in, in terms of how we look at something or how we talk about it, I do think it's important to try and be cognizant of some of the issues and to at least acknowledge those and, and talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree entirely, actually. And I think that that's one of the things that I think people do get sensitive and touchy about. Probably if we're being charitable, because it is uncomfortable to talk about, mm-hmm. because, you know, many people, myself and Andrew, will freely concede. We have no idea how to talk about these things. Um, and it, it can feel awkward. And sometimes people get defensive about that as well. And I think what you're saying there is quite, a, you know, quite valid as well, which is, you know, talking about these things isn't to shame anybody or isn't Mm -hmm. to guilt anybody or isn't to say that you're a bad person because of x y or z i mean roman polanski is a bad person but you are not a bad person because you eat meat or because you drive a car i eat meat um you know that's you don't drive a car though for ethical reasons i don't drive a car but that's no because i'm lazy (laughs) um and because i live in a commuter area so you have gout from the amount of meat that you eat so you (laughs) can't work the pedals yeah um yeah um, but no, no, I, like, I think talking about it is important. I think Grace is entirely right there. And I think actually bringing it up and being honest about it is important as well. Um, but no, it just in terms of, of 365 days, though, is there anything we want to talk about? Anything kind of jumping out at people? I know, you know, we've talked about the toxicity of it. Is there anything else we want to talk about along those lines? Or we just want to talk about the rest of the movie? Um, uh, the thing that's... Is there a rest uh, of the movie even is the question, but still. The thing that stuck out to me was the... the 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 sheer amount of um of blowjob scenes and the the idea as well that like it's the most porn hubby aspect of it yeah there was this idea that she is missing out on on giving um and this is the infamous purple room scene again again we're not entirely sure listeners have watched the movie so let's lay out sorry let's explain the purple room it's very difficult to do that yeah i i know so the purple room scene is basically for listeners who have not watched the movie. Uh, Massimo is at the son of a crime lord, while 
negotiating while attending the negotiation that we mentioned over refugees being smuggled for sex trafficking um his father is shot dead while he happens to see a beautiful woman on the beach that beautiful woman on the beach appears to be lara he fixates on lara and we'll come back to the level of fixation he has the point where he has giant portraits of her face a face that he only he also, saw once he also has like, a giant portrait of himself and a, and a, probably, and a tie- like in lion. one of the lesser rooms in the house he might have like a, a giant portrait of, of his like father. his um his mentor yeah his father or mario one of we'll his father at- as well yeah, yeah. Um, but and, but basically he kidnaps and one of he mario it's <laughs> yeah. the mario room the big house there yeah but he kidnaps laura and he dis- he gives her the t- 365 days of the title he kidnaps her on her birthday and he says if you have not fallen in love with me by your birthday next year i will release you and you will go your separate ways and that will be that and so he in- embarks on a campaign of well let's just call it what it is abuse um to convince her to fall in love with him and one of the things that he does is the scene that andrew alludes to there the purple room scene which is apparently um the actor michelle Moroney's one of his two favorite scenes in the movie to film the purple room scene <laughs> consists of um him tying her to a bed um, Sprite Eagle, of course, um, staring at him on a couch while a sex worker comes in and performs oral sex on him in full view of her so that, and I quote, she can see what she's missing. Um, it is a very, very strange scene. And yeah. it's scored. I don't like, know. I d- Sorry, go ahead. Like, like so much so much of the movie is scored with this rip-off temp track nonsense that's lifted from much better movies. But the the blowjob purple room scene is scored by what feels like a rip-off of Moby's uh, New Dawn Fades from Heat. The sequence where Al Pacino's driving down the motorway frantically and the guitar is just going down, 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 down. Except instead of like Al Pacino driving down a Los Angeles freeway, it's a mafia don receiving oral sex while staring at a woman chained to a bed. It... Which bit is uh, which bit is Al Pacino in 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 on the freeway, like um, and and which bit is sorry is LAX or sorry um uh, yeah did did it was kind of like like and I did she write that. Like that, yes. that's kind of thing, like you don't want to, you, you kind of, the tendency watching this movie is you think kind of like, oh, this is just kind of a man's kind of perspective Fantasy, on things. Yeah. And, 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 and then like your second thought when you discover it's, it, it's a woman wrote the entire thing is that it's kind of like some sort of internalized misogyny. But I, I, I like, and, and while, while I'm, while I'm not discounting, the reality that some women do enjoy giving fellatio it's generally is it not more of a a kind of i'm good at this and i enjoy doing things that i'm very good at or, or giving pleasure to another person but that's not really how it kind of comes across in the in the movie it's like it's like she is genuinely going to get something out of is watching like watching it even like not, i i I don't, I don't get it. Is it just kind of this weird sort of thoughtlessness? I think, I think it is. I I, I, like, because it, does it make sense at all? I I mean, again, not to read. I mean, it doesn't to me. Maybe it does to some other people who are into that kind of thing. But the the whole thing is just so, 
I can't even think of a word to describe how weird and bad it is because you're just sitting there and you're like, why? Why is this happening? And you know why? I I had a thought that, well, it doesn't go on that long. That's what I ended up thinking in the movie as well. Aside from the, 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 presumably it was a montage from the yacht where it goes on for like quite a while. Five minutes. Um, We'll talk about the yacht scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but like they're moving around to different parts of the yacht. So presu- pre- and, presumably, and presumably, like Mario is standing there the whole time. Like, there's a moment where they have sex on the yacht in front of the bridge, where the guy who's steering the yacht must be just staring out at them, <laughs> watching them, just gazing off to his right, I mean, just waiting for it all to end. I mean, that is fun. That is fun. <laughs> but, um, but like the aside from that uh, scene. The, there isn't much evidence for like the stamina of 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 Massimo as as like a a um, person having sex, right? Because did as I understand it, like the those anyway. Sorry, that, that's probably just something that occurred to me. Is is like that is a very short scene, <laughs> like and the the the. What what's presumably being implied is like this is what you're missing out on. I finish very quickly. Um, it gives it leaves plenty of time for other things <laughs> like, like conversation. Uh, um, and yeah, yeah, lovers. yeah. It'll be over in a second. I promise. Um, yeah, but it, like, um, but presumably that wasn't the intention of that scene. Another another thing that occurred to me was that. For a second, I thought, "Oh, is that the is that the air stewardess? Is it is it is it trying to kind of tell you that like, oh, she she uh, didn't hold it against him? They're actually friends. She comes over sometimes to the hotel. Um, like, was that why it was? But then I was like, no, no, that is, that is, that is completely different actress." Um, that was in my head. And the reason it's in my head is because you're kind of scratching your head and thinking, what is going on? Why, what, why, why is this happening? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I suppose, it, it, like, the easiest way to explain it would be like, oh, it's, it's kind of a male wish fulfillment sort of a thing. But, but then you're like, why, 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 why is... Was was that the was that the author's intention? Is that the is that the filmmaker's intention? Yeah. Again, this is the thing where I wonder. I don't want. I definitely don't want to do this as part of like conversing about sex scenes. But it's again notable that the scene that the this is the, why I wanted to talk about the movie, Baron, to make you feel uncomfortable. I didn't realize how uncomfortable it would make me feel. But um, the the author Lipinski, who has a cameo, she plays the woman who gets married and who throws the um the kind of the the flowers um that right. Lara catches. Um, she wanted to play the stewardess. Um, which yes. is no, you were mentioning that. Yeah, but it's interesting if you want to talk about that context and that gaze and like what the novel thinks is important and what the author thinks is important in the novel. Um, in terms of like that gaze, that very strange gaze of what pleasure looks like um, in in the film, um, which is very odd. Very I mean, odd. The the it, it, I suppose what what people have said is that it's kind of um, it sometimes gets called a a rape fantasy, and but but that it's 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 uh, 
I, I guess people, um, it's qualified more correctly as a, a, I think what's called a ravishment fantasy. And I'm not a, a sex expert, believe it or not. Um, but this is but, like the, the bodice ripping sort of fantasy. Exactly. Thing, yeah. 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 And, but that didn't, I, I mean, the, the and 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 that that's kind of what what the movie is trying to kind of that it, that it, that it's about appealing to say a woman who has been taught i guess that's that's um and stop me if i'm getting really stupid but who has been taught that um that is wrong um to to uh, to want sex so that the only context where they can kind of give into it is where 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 they feel like they have no choice, but it's actually um, they know and the person kind of um, who's kind of you know uh, taking them in the stable or something knows that it that it's a that it's a consensual experience that the two of them are enjoying, but nobody else can kind of um, know, and it's almost like a kind of a a. A fantasy or a cover or a kind of a role play i guess well that's the kind of thing i think lipinska kind of refers to when she talks about wanting a man to and again this is one of the things where it's i'm really uncomfortable talking about this so i should probably stop but i'm going to <laughs> we continue should cut anyway. to grace uh we should cut to grace but no i, I apologies <laughs> i but the, the thing that lipinska talks about where she says wanting somebody to come in and basically all the decisions that she has to make in her life you know, the, the, she's a businesswoman. She has to make these choices. She's always worried about this, about that, about... And having somebody come in and sweep her off her feet and say, no, this is what you are caring about today. I'm in charge. And obviously the gendered stereotypes that go with that, the subtext that goes with that is, is complicated. I, I, to I mean, to, to an extent in any relationship, there is going to be a certain kind of a level of inequality and not just determined by the patriarchy. I guess, but but determined by kind of like what um, what people want and what people want to give, I guess. So there there were there will be relationships where um, somebody wants to kind of um, dictate things that happen, and where the other person has no interest in 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 making those decisions. Um, somebody I know was was talking about themselves and their husband and they said I don't make any of the the important decisions he does so he 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 decides everything like what car he drives and um I get some of the smaller decisions like where we live uh, (laughs) and then it's like where our kids go to school and then like it was they were basically making a joke of us where they were saying like actually I do make all the important decisions (laughs) um but, but the, the but it's to, to give them the sorry. I, anyway, I'm 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 digressing. I guess. Well, I, I, again, I'm wary. I should probably probably stop talking. But the the thing that I think has been made is the discussion that you have within feminism, and I think like again, Sex and the City probably not the benchmark example to pick here, but. Like, I think it was the third season premiere of Sex and the City where they had the conversation, which was, you know, as a feminist, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but just personally. Like understanding that it exists in the concept in the context of patriarchy, understanding that it exists in the context of like as a woman having to fight for all my rights and having to fight for everything that I have and knowing that, you know, if I don't fight for them, I will lose them. I would also just personally 
like to have the freedom to just give that up to a man, a romantic interest in this point, have him come sweep off my feet, take me away and make those decisions for me. And, you know, again, I am absolutely not excusing 365 days. I am not belittling how toxic it is um, and how far it takes that trope and how it doesn't necessarily think that trope through. And it the way, the places it goes are, are kind of dark and disturbing. I, I think that that's maybe what it's trying for. Like, it, yeah, that, it, uh, yeah, that, that, that that's that's maybe kind of fair if we want to be fair. Um, but sorry, um, Grace. Um. I'm sorry, Grace. We've kind of talked across you, actually. If if you want to jump in there, no, you're okay. I was I was just gonna say, like, I can see um that perspective that the author um has, and and like like you say, was kind of alluded to in Sex and the City. Like, I think it would be a very natural, like, human psychological instinct if you feel like you know for whatever reason your world is just very complicated and challenging and you're kind of just very tired and ground down and it feels like you have to fight so hard for everything and you're constantly aware of of you know of, of all those difficulties that you face i think it would be a very normal reaction for your brain to just be like i just went out of this like i'm just i'm so tired i'm so worn out i'm so fed up with thinking about it i just want to have like an easy life and you know whatever you define as an easy life which i suppose in the author's case is just oh i just want to be taken care of in inverted commas and have like someone else make the money and, and make the decisions and I just kind of can sail through life easily. Like, I mean, as a form of kind of escapism, I can see why somebody might think that way. Um, but yeah, I suppose there's a big difference between presenting yeah. that as some kind of like a fantasy and then as as something that's that's, you know something that should be actively sought after, I suppose. Yeah. And I mean, like, again, it's 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 even like it's it's even little things like the way in which he grabs her by the neck, like repeatedly throughout. He grabs her by the neck and pulls her close to him or pushes her against an object. Like when she's getting changed or in the dressing room, he grabs her by the neck and throws her against the mirror. When they're in the shower, she moves to leave and he grabs her by the neck and pulls her thro- close. And I mean, well, it's, I, it's, it's I suppose that stuff. like that, okay. that stuff cuts both ways because you, you can either it can either be triggering um for somebody who's who's been the victim of a sexual assault or it could be titillating for somebody who um likes to be grabbed by the neck so did they did they kind of did what what it like it's done in a very stupid way like there is a way i guess to do that to show that on screen where it it, it I mean, but the, the, it's probably not the, him glowering down the camera talking about how he's not used to not getting what he wants. No, the the, the, yeah. the thing the thing that defenders of the movie, I think, um, and um, <laughs> I guess unwittingly putting myself, <laughs> that um, I've I've tried to kind of you know say that the movie is transgressive. Now, I I don't think it is. I think it's very regressive, and I, I suppose I'm not the only person to 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 say that by any means. But the the that that's kind of um, that there's something kind of daring about that um, depiction, I guess, is what they what they, what they want to say because it it, it the idea in that sort of um, um, sex play, I guess, is 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 for for there to be a safe word. Um, but I suppose in the world of a movie, you don't need a safe word. Because it's all fictional, but I mean, again, yeah, the, question yeah, is, yeah. the question is though that do you? I mean, do people internalize that? I mean, again, again, that 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 is the thing, yeah. Where where 
where you you, you can have kind of um, maybe not that not with not that we're going to be the people to police that. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I will say, actually, yeah, in terms of you mentioned the defenses of it there, and there's an actual quote here from Megan O'Keefe, which I think is interesting. I'm not entirely sure I agree with it, but I think it maybe gets at what you were saying about maybe transgression versus regression. Uh, Megan O'Keefe argues, for me, the the fascinating thing about 365 Days is how ruthlessly horny the movie is. While other directors might use graphic sex scenes to unnerve the audience, show the exquisite nature of true love, or even say something profound about life, death, and the human nature, 365 Days is doing none of that. From start to finish, it's a movie about the kinkier side of sex. The plot is a dark, unbidden fantasy that no one would seriously admit to entertaining to anyone other than a lover or close confidant. The sex scenes are aggressively dirty, shot not with a male or female gaze, but a voyeur's gaze. I swear the actors stare down the camera lens every couple of seconds. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably far too comfortable (laughs) talking about these sorts of things. Um... Yeah, they, 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 I, I would say there, there probably is something to that, but I, I'd be hoping for like, and hope maybe in the, we've already talked about some of them, but maybe in the in the recommendations section, we can talk about movies that aren't so stupid, yeah. and and bad, Are you lost, baby girl? bad, um, as 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 this, that 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 scratch that same itch, but do it in a more I guess intelligent way, oh. um. But maybe, maybe if you were to defend the movie, you would say that it does scratch that itch, whether it doesn't in an intelligent way or not. Um, what I will say, actually, before we wrap up, I just want to point out, again, Darren hasn't done his own crazy uh, trying to make sense of what 365 days means uh, thing. So yeah, I we, haven't, we still haven't asked Grace what it means to her. Fair point, actually. <laughs> Do you really want to know? <laughs> I, was about to, I was about to ask, did you want us to ask? Like, I mean, again, I feel like it, it's, you know, if you want to answer, if you want to tell us what 365 days is about for you, I do feel like asking that question puts somebody on the spot. And I felt the person who deserved to be put on the spot in this podcast was Andrew. But Grace. <laughs> no, that's fair. They do deserve to be punished. Um, I did provoke you, Darren. Um. <laughs> wow. I think this is a, a, a movie for people who, who want to watch what's essentially a porno with, with better production values and feel better about the fact that they're not watching it on Pornhub, probably. Some porn has good production values, though. Well, I mean, <laughs> you should point that out. Well, these people aren't aware of that. <laughs> well, so, somebody actually pointed, one of the reviews I read pointed out that like Pornhub has started producing like actual movies, including the documentary, I think it's called Smackdown or Slamdown, but it's actually a documentary mm-hmm. um, looking at, um, I believe it's a strip club in Los Angeles. And they've said that like Pornhub's like films are more sensitive and tactful in their handling of sex and sexuality than 365 days uh which is something to behold i think yeah they 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 did they did a video about um the pollution of our oceans yeah and it was it was it was um it was promoted as the the dirtiest like uh video you will ever see you know to 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 get people to click on it yeah and uh, mm-hmm. that 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 it was actually like making plot twist: the dirt is in the sea. <laughs> exactly, where 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 it was like a whole lot of like um, uh, plastic bags and like just um, crud, like washed up on a beach where two people were boning. Um, I, I do I do yeah. like that. Even then, they couldn't resist. Um, well, it is no. born up. <laughs> like, you don't want 
people to stop visiting. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the, docu- yeah, yeah, the documentary isn't I, actually porn. The documentary is is actually about like the socio and kind of like political and kind of like cultural importance of this strip club, basically, to the local community. Uh, yeah, it's like um, what's it called? Um, what's that movie? Look after the girls or um, about the kind of hooters. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, what's it called? Is it protect? The girls are, oh God, I've seen this too. Why can't I remember the name Support of it? Support the girls. Support the girls. Support, Support the, the girls. girls. That's yeah, it, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, a documentary version of that, I guess. Yes. But, um, but, 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 a, but a strip club rather than a hooter. Um, all right. Before, very quickly, because I think we're kind of wrapping up here. But like, do we want to talk about how completely insane the parts of the movie that don't directly involve sex are anyway? Yeah. So like things like, <laughs> thank you, Andrew, for that. Um, <laughs> Can I say one, um, and and then I'll actually no wait wait wait. Um, uh, I'll 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 let I'll let somebody else go <laughs> in case it's the exact same one. I doubt it is, um, but but um, yeah. What if I wanted to be charitable to the movie, and I don't know why I would, but let's say that I did. Is there an interesting Freudian psycho subtext going on there? where Massimo, who is obviously imprinted on Lara after seeing her shortly before his father is shot through the heart and he's covered with blood and he's working through all of that. Is there perhaps a psychosexual subtext to do with penetration tied there? Because the bullet not only goes through his father's heart, the bullet also penetrates him. And so for Massimo, his journey as a character, and I can't believe I'm actually doing this, but is basically that penetration is to make peace with the loss of his father through sex with Lara. But the movie somehow makes that even creepier than that subtext suggests that it is. Like it's it's a really terrible movie. I, I really think that's reading too much into it. Like <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from, but I don't think the film has thought that deeply about that aspect of it. I mean like I said, in in a better world, that might be perhaps a, a, a subtext that that a film of this nature might explore and try to do in a more sensitive, uh, meaningful way. But I don't think that's what's happening here, unfortunately. I think he's being shot through the heart, and now he's trying to give love a bad name. Um, thank, thank you, Anne. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, I I thought I I I I thought the. Uh, <laughs> Meet the parents scene was <laughs> <laughs> incredible because <laughs> he um, and this is an example of how like it's not Beauty and the Beast because like um, the Beast at the end has you know um, for changed all, yeah 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 for 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 however fierce the Beast is like the the it's a it's it's about the Beast becoming uh, vulnerable person. and. Um, uh, like I, I, I guess you know, an, an equal or a better person in some way. Um, but he's like meeting her parents, and they're like, "Oh, what do you do? I'm a gangster." <laughs> and then it's like, um, "What are your intentions?" You can't with my... come to the wedding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are your intentions? That's not a warning with my sign. Daughter? Yeah. And it's like only the evil ones, which presumably means like anal sex and people trafficking. And then his father is like. Oh well, let's have a vodka, because you seem cool. Um, like I approve of this, 
Um, it's so weird. Um, it's a very strange um, scene. And I'm sure the people who made it thought, like, this is brilliant. Well, <laughs> We've done it the movie is movie is so full of things that don't make sense. So think of, like, the character of Anna, who's introduced as, like, the romantic rival to Lara. Although, because Lara doesn't fall in love with Massimo until she almost drowns, that means that Anna isn't important until the second half of the film. And she only appears in a single scene and does nothing. Well, she's she on shows... his phone as well, though. Yeah. Fair. There's a lot of stuff on the phone as well. Like, like <laughs> did I, I thought she was going to use uh, the phone as the vibrator rather than um, an actual vibrator because of the relationship that people have to their phones in this. There's a lot of people making important calls on these ludicrously large, <laughs> like, iPhones <laughs> that everybody has these days, or sorry, Samsung Galaxies or whatever kind of you're having yourself. And it, it, it's, it's like the, the, uh, her falling for him is uh, partly predicated on him giving her back her phone and laptop like she's a bloody <laughs> teenager who's, who's being grounded. Um, it's so, um, it, it, it kind of, uh, it kind of casts a mirror <laughs> on who, who, what, who we become as a society and our addictions to phones and I guess pornography <laughs> and and it's it's not like something that, that that's uh, that's fun to look at I don't know oh. um, did anyone else notice that, that or was that just me was there was there some kind of like very unironic kind of um, or unself-aware treatment of phones where they're like, okay, if we want her to be happy here, we should give her her phone. Her phone back. Yeah, yeah. I can't say I know she's <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Also her heart condition, um, which is brought up at the start and then she faints for blood, you know, when she sees blood after he's murdered the guy who child traffics, and then is never brought up again, even though you imagine it might be relevant during several scenes of high tension in the rest of the movie. Yeah, I mean, she 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 collapses kind of when when they're kidnapping her. Yeah, he feels really bad for kidnapping her because he didn't realize she had a heart condition. <laughs> oh no, I never would have kidnapped you if I'd known about your your what is it a disability? Yeah, it's I don't like think Massimo I, is particularly that she sensitive. Should say <laughs> like yeah. I have a heart condition, and if I don't get released from captivity, I will die. <laughs> um, yeah. And then this little experiment of yours will get a lot darker and potentially have consequences. Although, really, will it have consequences because you're a gangster? And, and every policeman in the town is apparently working for him. Um, even the two Either that, that you or they don't speak English. <laughs> it is the mafia. Yeah, fair point. Um, but it's okay because he gets she gets a shopping montage because that's apparently what the movie's doing right now. Oh, it is. <laughs> there, there's there's kind of there. Not only is it the kind of the phone and the laptop stuff. Well, it's, wealth it, it's also yeah yeah it's also like the yacht and everything else but it's also the clothes mm -hmm. and it's also like the stylists they have yeah. like this oh, gay, yeah. gay yeah. exploitation somebody um, somebody made the the point i think in a letterbox review that if this guy was poor this would be a horror movie <laughs> i think that's a a pretty important point yeah. <laughs> like it's it's not just that they have sex all over a yacht it's that they have sex all over a yacht it's like yeah, yuck. Which is, but like that's the, it's the unironic. Well, it's easier Wall to Street clean, aspect of it. 
<laughs> They'll hardly go inside the ass. <laughs> yeah, all, all those waves will just like splash over it and just clean it off yeah. organically. That's right. But, yeah. But it, it is. It's like it's the unironic Wolf of Wall Street kind of aspect of it, where it's like, yeah, I he, the dude has a yacht. He has two gay stylists. Like the moment where she where she says, "I don't have anything to wear," and he's like, "Oh, don't worry, I'll fix that for you." So you don't have anything to worry about. Like, where was he keeping these two guys? Did they travel with him everywhere? What? what what's going on? And then you get the montage, the makeover montage, where it's just like, well, this I think is only one of them. Ever. I think only one of them is a stylist, and the other is a helicopter pilot who oh, okay. <laughs> takes the other one of course. Like, wherever he needs to go. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and what about yourself, Grace? Is there anything kind of jumping out at you in terms of things that you want to talk about, or kind of need explained, or make no sense in the context of the movie? <laughs> Um, not really. <laughs> like, I think we, we've covered all the important parts in inverted commas insofar as one can in this film. So yeah, I can't say there's anything else about it that really struck me as in need of much discussion. <laughs> what I will say, I found myself identifying, of course I did, identifying with Mario throughout all this. I think Mario is the real audience identification character. He's just like the old advisor to Massimo who just seems like he's over all of this. Which I kind just two days left to retirement. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, it's, it seems like because she's just so blasé about all of it. Like there's all this terrible stuff happening around Mario, and he's just like, "Can we get back to the part of this that is vaguely a mob movie related?" Because um, that's mm-hmm. the part well, of the movie that I'm in. When you asked me what the movie was about, I should have said, um, "You can't fight Maslow's pyramid." Because like this is a movie <laughs> where where like your your prefrontal cortex is telling you like I should stop watching this immediately. This is trash and it's like harmful and dangerous and like nobody should watch this. And you're like, but um, yeah, I I I think it's it's it it's it, it if if you're being charitable to the movie, it's kind of making its own point. It's like yeah, we know this is stupid, but like you're gonna watch it anyway because you're a terrible person. Um, <laughs> you like brain damage, right? Um, I mean, and again, and again, things like things like her job. What even is her job? She's some sort of hotel person, and then she gets kidnapped for two months, and then she gets a promotion when she comes back. Which is like, <laughs> I, I don't know how jobs work in this universe. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that he's Batman as well, which I kind of, it's a small touch, but I really like it. The bit where he can appear and disappear randomly behind her whenever he needs to <laughs> <laughs> using the prompt. That's how um, it works. Yeah. Well, that's only if he exists. <laughs> there, there, oh, is, there is an interpretation of the movie where there is no Massimo. And it is, oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> no, I just made that up. But the whole thing. The whole thing happens while she's in her bedroom, kind of. With the uh, vibrator. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you have that stupid cross-cutting that's meant to be like, these two people are meant to oh, be together. Oh, it's, it's like, Yeah, that's it, exactly. Well. Where, yeah, where it's like, look at this woman enjoying herself with a vibrator and look at this man sexually assaulting a stewardess. These two are clearly the same things. This, yeah, this is definitely the same. Yes, which the same level of moral weight here. Yeah, uh, and and the fact that I, I mean, you know, I don't want to pick on the actors, but again, Mich- um, Michelle uh, Maroney looks like he's having a stroke. Um, to be, but <laughs> you know what? In fairness to him, I've heard he's a very good gardener. <laughs> um, all right, then I think that about wraps it up. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about, anything that we haven't discussed already, anything jumping out at people. We should probably say they're quite good-looking people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, 
that's 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 kind of like the the the, the it was it was the reason why he had no career up to this point. He was so handsome, and now <laughs> now he's a songwriter and an actor. Thank you yeah. very much. Jokes on all those people who didn't hire him. <laughs> Maybe if they had, we wouldn't have been subjected to this. They're the real evil here. Anna Maria uh, Saluka is also an actor who only had one credit to her name, a guest appearance on a TV show before she got cast in Three Hundred and Sixty Five Days. And in case the movie's ending leaves you in any doubt there it is apparently a trilogy of books the second book is called i believe of course it is 365 days part two and the third book is called another 365 days in which i can only assume nick nolte and uh, eddie murphy have a different sort of adventure together <laughs> i would watch that <laughs> Um, all right then. Um, unless there's anything else jumping out at people, anything jumping out for Grace or Andrew, anything that we haven't talked about or anything we need to discuss about the movie? Like she could have, she, 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 she could have punched him in the dick, um, like several times. Um, no, no, not that, not that I'm recommending that. I keep saying this when I'm watching Cobra Kai. I'm like, I don't know why these stupid kids don't just hit each other in the dick all the time. Like, are you lost, The karate, just like. Break a bottle and stab the other person in the genital area. That'll get them to. Are you lost, baby? I, I, I remember one time, um, like sh- showing somebody I knew something from like jujitsu or something. I was like, I, sh- sh- show you this. It's like really good self defense and it's really cool. And then they just bit me. <laughs> I was like, ah, <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. And it's like, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, in terms of kind of other stuff about the movie, I had a point, but I completely forgot. So it is completely irrelevant and it doesn't matter whatsoever. All right, then. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something, something they're enjoying at the moment, something they something they think listeners might enjoy. It could be related to the podcast, it could be unrelated to the podcast. But to give Grace a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, related to this podcast, at uh, the uh, next Valentine's Day, so like next year. <laughs> Um, <laughs> or, or in memory of this Valentine's Day, you can you can treat your partner by taking their phone and subscribing to this podcast. No, don't do that. Um, uh, you, um, I saw there's some stories um, covered by the Jess and Nick and Rosenthal Vanity Project that that were more romantic than than this movie. Um, as terrible as they were, there, there was there was a story about like uh, a woman who stabbed her husband because she saw um, she saw photos of him having sex with a woman like Martin in this movie, but didn't realize that it was just older photos of herself. And as terrible as that was, it was it was it was, it, 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 it felt somehow more romantic than this. There was another story about Heavens above. yeah, <laughs> about uh, exactly that's love. That's what love does. <laughs> There, there, there was also some meth news um, about a Virginia man who I think married his daughter or something. But um, <laughs> never mind. God. Never mind about that. We're, we're, surely we should be recommending something wholesome. I should. I should. Um, if you want to watch a wholesome um, European boner movie, um, check out uh, Bernardo Bertolucci's The Dreamers. I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember it being um, kind of... Uh, a a a good uh, uh, movie and and a piece of erotica with Eva Green in it. If one is into that sort of thing, and some very handsome men too, the, the kind of foppy haired European and American types. 
Darren is getting very uncomfortable thinking, what am I going to recommend? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, no, I was more um, thinking in terms of bringing up Bertolucci and, and like Last Tango in Paris and the kind of baggage that comes with that. That was kind of, sorry. Right. Yeah. yeah um, sorry. Fair enough. I'm, I'm not I'm not aware. Of, oh, damn it, of... Andrew. You had one job. <laughs> I, I don't know what the baggage is. I'm sorry. Oh, um. Okay, we don't. We know we shouldn't go in. That's a yeah. That's a discussion for another yeah. time. But there, there, there's unpleasantness there. Suffice to I'm, say, I'm not surprised. Um, I guess. Um, and I'm sorry. Sorry to 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 to. No, no, sorry. sorry to right. to to hear that. Yeah. The, 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 um, um. I guess that that would that would be that would be a recommendation. We the, like other recommendations will be covered in the erotic thriller podcast that Darren and I will be peeling off, um, to do. I meant um, to ask actually, as a, Andrew, as a does, Patreon does, uh, exclusive. Yeah. Um, how how does this rank as an erotic thriller? Because you've won, like we've talked in the podcast before about your deep abiding affection for the erotic thriller as a genre that yeah. Hollywood doesn't really make well, anymore. It, it, in uh, uh, kids of our generation were served by those movies. Like it was either that or finding kind of uh, uh, magazines in trees, um, which actually happened apparently. Which, which totally happened. Um, <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, no, it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't, um, stand up well. Like watch, watch, watch showgirls, like, um, uh, the Verhoeven cast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, that's generally kind of like a bad movie, but it's, 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 it's kind of, um, it's kind of bonkers and, um, and it's, it's bad, but it's definitely a lot worthier yeah. than this one. I would yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Watch that. Um, and maybe don't watch *Bertolucci's The Dreamers* then. Oh, so, sorry, um, and no, Craig... that's fine. That's I... fine. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, yeah. Um, please don't ruin *RoboCop* for me. Um, and Grace, <laughs> what would you recommend for listeners? Um, I'm trying to think of something wholesome. Um, I suppose for those of you who have Disney Plus, I've been watching and enjoying a show called *Animal Eora*, which is quite nice. Although I suppose it's not entirely wholesome because sometimes, you know, bad things are wrong with animals and, and they don't always make it. But if you do want to watch animals mostly being rescued and cared for by loving vets, then um, I would recommend that. That seems wholesome and pure. And hopefully a subsequent Google search will not tell me that one of the vets turned out to be a horrible person or something. Well, what is the name of it again? Animal Eeyore. Animal Eeyore. I've also been watching actual Eeyore, the TV show from the 90s of late, because my sister got the it's box very at Christmas. very good, right? Um, which is very good, yeah. And one of those like time capsules back to the 90s when you get a, a glimpse of what the big issues were and how how dated some of them are and then how, how completely not dated other, ish, other issues are. So, yeah. But it's not always wholesome, which is why I won't, I won't necessarily mention it there. If, if, if you like animals getting saved if that's what you're into you sick twist and <laughs> then you can get that from animal leor <laughs> sorry um, th- thank you andrew um and two quick recommendations for me one to make you feel dirty and one to make you feel clean <laughs> oh, think, think, think of it as think of it as the erotic thriller and then the cold shower afterwards so the horny thing that i'm going to recommend is russell t davies it's a sin which is a fantastic tv show it's airing on channel four it's on more four uh in the uk and ireland at the moment it'll be released on hbo max the week that this is released and it's well worth seeking out it is the story of three young men uh, during the middle of the AIDS pandemic uh, in the 80s. But it stands out from the pack. I think when we talked about uh, Call Me By Your Name, we talked about how the tendency for these narratives is to be tragic and sad and worthy and heavy because obviously the AIDS epidemic was a tragedy that gutted uh, the gay community. 
But based on Russell T. Davies' own experiences growing up in that environment, it is that, but it is also joyous, enthusiastic, it's enraging, it's hilarious, it's moving, it's heartbreaking. I may even have, my eyes may have moistened um, at various points during it, which is really saying something given that I am a robot programmed to generate movie opinions. Um, I found it deeply moving and beautiful. And yes, it is very randy as well. So that is my recommendation there. And if you need a cold shower after that or this podcast, just to well, either to lower the blood temperature or just to feel clean again, um, I would recommend Quiz. Um, it's the miniseries from AMC and ITV. Um, it's basically the story of the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire cheating scandal, and it stars Matthew McFadden um, as Major Charles Ingram, who was accused of stealing a million pound on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It also features Michael Sheen as Chris Tarrant. Amazing. Um, it is very... Yeah, it is very British. It is a very British miniseries television show. It is hilarious in parts. It's also very sad, very weird, very intimate, and very big at the same time. I really enjoyed that. So I would I would recommend those two shows. I, think um, as, I really enjoy both of them. As a palate cleanser as well, we've decided never to do the podcast again. <laughs> so come back next, yes. Come back next week and you won't find anything in your feed. Yes. Well, I mean, I was going to ask where we can find Grace online. So watch up to Grace. What's up with you at the moment? Where are you up? What are you doing? Um, I suppose I'm not online as much as I used to be, but every now and then I do pop up on Twitter if you want to follow me at Pixie Grace. Um, although I am on what you call it on private. So if you want to follow me, you'll have to submit a request and just wait for me to uh, to administer judgment. But but yes, <laughs> please do come looking if you would like. <laughs> submit your resume. Um. Um. Yeah. I'll take that under advisement and then revert to you and so on. <laughs> See, it's, it's still a healthier consent process than anything in this movie, to be fair. Um, and then, yes, um, the, as Andrew mentioned, because last week or the week before we did a special episode marking the passing of Christopher Plummer, we are taking next week off. We're giving ourselves a week off. So if you want, you can go back, you can dig into the archives, or you can just listen to this episode on repeat next week if you want. Uh, and then we'll be back the weekend following that, so in a fortnight, with the wonderful Phil Bagnall and the fantastic Ronan Doyle joining us for a discussion of a hot new entry from that young up-and-coming Swedish director, Ingmar Bergman, Autumn Sonata. So we're really looking forward to that. And you can catch this exclusively on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but take it easy. And thank you so much, Grace. Thank you for, uh, thanks for joining thank, us. Thanks um, so much, Grace. No worries. Um, <laughs> we'll talk again and on, I'm sure. Hopefully about something a bit more, uh, a bit less, uh, no, a bit more savory. That's what I'm looking for. Right, Perfect. yeah, yeah. The, the, I always find it kind of um, funny, that kind of word, like savory. Like, you're like oh, sweet. Oh, savory. <laughs> <laughs> but unsavory. Unsavory, yeah.